Hello, NISOA Nation, and good evening. Um, welcome to our third installment of Black History Month, where we are celebrating our uh, members and telling a little bit about their stories. So if you're not familiar with um, our initiative here, February is Black History Month, and it brings our attention to the unique struggles and triumphs of the Black community. At NISOA, we're focused on being an inclusive organization and using our platform for good. And with that, we are super excited to spotlight our successful members and use this platform to help share their stories through their voices and bring us a little closer together in understanding and supporting one another. I'm very much excited about our guest today. She is a dear friend of mine and colleague, and I have had the privilege of working with Miss Natalie Simon on some significant games in my own personal career, and she has been uh, a fabulous teammate, and I would go to battle on any game with her, uh, and I'm super very much excited uh, to, to hear her perspective today. Um, so if you don't know Miss Natalie Simon, she is in Florida. She's been a member of NISOA since 2015. She's a part of the Florida Sun chapter in Florida, and she was recently the Region 6 Regional Referee of the Year Award recipient, and so we are super excited to have her today. When I asked her about her career highlight, she said it was the D2 Championships where she had rain and sleet in her game, which I couldn't imagine a Florida girl surviving that. Tell me about that, Natalie. Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> Definitely Thank you so much for joining. Match, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Thank you so much for joining. I'm super excited uh, about our conversation today and learning a little bit more about your story uh, and your experiences. So thanks again for joining. So for can you first, yeah, for sure. Can you first introduce yourself to the group uh, who might not be familiar with you? Yeah, you know, I'm Natalie. I'm from Florida. Uh, <laughs> Been in the college game for a few years. I started out as a player, um, played played in college at Stetson uh, in, in the Orlando area. And um, I was the player on the field that, you know, most referees kind of knew about and, you know, I'd always have an issue with. And uh, my assistant coach at the time was actually Rodney Kenny, and he encouraged me to get into refereeing um, once I finished my career. And so that's how I kind of got started. You know, I was that player that was an issue on the field and refereeing was sort of a way to stay close to the game. And so when I first started working my college games, I would, you know, run lines for referees that I remember from some of my games in college. And they would say, hey, I remember doing you. You played at Stetson, right? So, you know, I kind of was notorious as a player, but, you know, refereeing was a nice transition from playing. So definitely uh, had a fun college career, though. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you know, we always say players make the best uh, officials because you understand the game so well. So a perfect transition, undoubtedly. Um, so let's let's dive right into the topic for today. So what does Black history mean to you? Uh, Black history for me is, is kind of, it really is American history. Um, you know, like, especially for me, it's very personal because uh, I'm actually originally from Louisiana. So my, my family history, you know, I've, my family's been in this country for hundreds of years. And, um, my great grandmother is a daughter of a Native American slave. Uh, my, on my dad's side, I'm a, I think I'm three or four generations removed from that. So, Black history is, I think, the foundation of our country. So for me, it's it's a huge thing, and I think all the different Black people that have contributed to things in our country that we sometimes don't always appreciate. I think it's a nice time that we get to actually highlight some of those people. And for me, it's very personal because it's it feels like my family history, you know. It's beautiful. 
I love that you just correlated it. It's American history. It's embedded in, in who we it all is. are. It is. I yeah. love that. That's a great perspective. So many people and organizations around the nation uh, generally only celebrate Black history during the month of February and see it as a time to feature predominant Black historical icons and their contributions in the United States. What are your thoughts about this approach? And are there ways that the nation could do better in celebrating and honoring Black history? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, February is, is, a, is a good time to do it, but I feel like Black history is something that should be celebrated year round. Um, you know, it's, it's taught in schools and, and, you know, everybody has their own perspective about Black history, but I think it all starts with each individual person, you know, going out there looking for information and educating themselves and, and being open and having dialogue. You know, it's a good time to focus on, on Black icons right now and Black history, but I think all of us as Americans need to do our own homework and do our own due diligence throughout the year to make sure that we, we know the contributions of Black people. Um, and I think it should, be, it should happen throughout the year. For sure. I couldn't agree more. So talking a little bit about Black history, what moment in Black history do you wish you could go back in history and witness and why? Oh man, a moment in Black history. Um, that's a hard question. Um, I would say, you know, it, it's, it's hard as a Black person to, to pick one moment, but I think for me, you know, the, the civil rights era was a very, very hard time, but I, I would love to have just been there for one of Dr. King's speeches, you know, or one of Malcolm X's speeches, like just to experience that and, and to be a part of that, even though it was a very hard time for black people in this country, I think just to be able to witness that would just be incredible for sure. Mm -hmm. The black and white videos just certainly don't do it justice. I know, do they? they don't, <laughs> they don't. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your experience as a Black official. What's it like to be a Black official? What challenges, if any, do you face because you are Black within this space? What positive experiences do you face, if any, because you're Black within this space? And who have contributed to those positive or challenging experiences? You know, I'd say it's, it's, been, a, it's been a tough road. It's been up and down. I definitely have had a lot of highlights and good moments in my career. Um, but I think one of the first things I noticed when I first started refereeing and I was going to different events and meeting different mentors and assessors and, you know, people that had accomplished so much in the referee community, I quickly realized that no one looked like me. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, you know, black male referees that have done a lot at the MLS level and um, even FIFA level and a lot of women that have accomplished a lot, at least white women, but there was nobody that looked like me. So it was really hard and I had a lot of, you know, at least internally, I had a lot of self-doubt about my abilities and what I could do and how far I could take myself in my career. So I think, you know, over the years as I've gotten more experience and I've gotten better at what I do on the field, it's constantly reminding myself that, you know, I'm paving the way for someone else. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure sometimes that I walk onto the field with, but I know that things are changing and moving in the right direction. But for me, it was really hard starting out as a, as a referee and realizing that, you know, I didn't really have someone to truly look up to that looked just like me that I could identify with. But, you know, slowly things are changing and improving. But, I, you know, I, that was something that I noticed right off the bat. I get goosebumps just listening to you tell that story, yeah. you know? I mean, 
it's so important that people see people like themselves yes. in roles, right? And the fact that you acknowledge that you're paving that for others, right? And while that role might not be there for you, there are so many women um, that are looking up to you and all that you've accomplished, right? So yes. you're making those waves and that is uh, very much exciting. And literally I have goosebumps. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, know, you know, Tori, as a woman, like I think it's invisibility is important. Like we've only seen a handful of us out there at the highest levels, you know? So it's like, you know, to have someone to relate to, you know, you're paving the way as well for other referees that are coming up. You know, I think visibility is the most important thing when you talk about, you know, inspiring the younger generations and to kind of pave a way forward for everyone. Mm -hmm. So talking a little bit about Black History Month, uh, for those that might not know, it was created in the second week of February to coincide with the birthdays of Abraham um, on February 12th and Frederick Douglass on the 20th. Scholars acknowledge the importance of these men. Who are some of the icons who have inspired you that you've looked up to in your journey and why? Um, well, you know, the, we know the, the big ones, the Martin Luther King, the Malcolm X's. Um, me personally, I loved Muhammad Ali as a kid because he was just so cocky and just made me proud to be black too, you know? But a little more personal to me, I would have to say my grandfather. He, um, you know, being from Louisiana, like a lot of things there at least changed very late. Like the country was moving forward, but a lot of things in the South because of Jim Crow took a lot longer to catch up to the rest of the country. So my grandfather's story is so incredible. Um, he was actually growing up in the forties. He was, he was picking cotton at nine years old and it, they were only paying. He told me a penny a pound. And I'm like, I don't even know how much a pound of cotton is, but <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot, you know? And, you know, that's kind of, he started out doing that when he was a kid. So he's been working, he worked his whole life and he was really good at school and in high school, um, the Louisiana governor passed a law that prevented teachers from writing recommendations for black students to go to college or else they would be risking their career. So my grandfather really wanted to go to college um, and he wasn't able to when he graduated because of those laws that were passed in Louisiana. And they changed a few years after he had graduated and my great grandmother encouraged him to go to college even though he was working and making money and building a life for himself. Um, he ended up going back to college and becoming a teacher and an administrator and the school board and everything. And, you know, it's, it's incredible that he was, was even able to accomplish that. But because of the Jim Crow laws, a lot of Blacks were deterred from being able to do that. So he's, he's a hero for me and I look up to him and those stories of, you know, I'm going to keep passing those on to, you know, my family and the kids in our family. So his story is pretty incredible. That's amazing. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that. <laughs> very personal accolade that I think really colors the experiences of, you know, those before us. I think that's, it's amazing, right? Um, yeah. The amount of work and dedication and motivation that's needed to kind of pass through those channels. I can't even fathom. You know, I'd seen an article a friend had posted recently and it was a letter for um, acceptance or denial to a medical school. And it was back yeah. in the sixties. So not too long ago. And literally in the letter, um, it said, you know, we apologize, we're not allowed to accept you despite your, um, you know, criteria because you are Negro. And it yes. was like, sincerely, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, that was it. And it was like, could yeah. you imagine getting a letter like that and just not being able to, to do what you hope to do simply because of that? Yeah. 
Um, and it's, it sounds like a really similar story. So good for him to, yeah. when that opportunity presented itself yeah. to do it, you know? It's really inspirational, it is. That's amazing that you have that icon in front of you. That's great, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, similarly, but a little lighthearted, um, yeah. if you could go to dinner with three black icons, past, present, who would, it, who would you pick? Oh, my top choice would have to be Serena, even though she lost the other night. <laughs> Don't hold that against her. I, I'm, I play tennis. I'm a big fan. And she's been an activist off the court. She's been just a powerhouse player. And um, she's definitely one of my favorite people, just because she kind of broke down a lot of barriers. And just to watch her as a kid, to see what she was able to do you know, on the court, it's just incredible. Um, you know, Muhammad Ali is a big one and Malcolm X, two of my biggest, um, just because of what they were able to do as well. Wow, that is some personalities at one table. That'd be a hell of a dinner. <laughs> be a hell of a dinner. <laughs> I just sit there and listen. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, important to note, Serena's also an NWSL owner. That's uh, right. That's right. An MLA team as well. So um, she's got that soccer blood in her too now. I know. Hold I know. The dark side. <laughs> I'm excited to see what they do. <laughs> Very cool. I want to join that dinner. Fly on the wall. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Um, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, kind of, you know, I've got to throw some tough questions your way as well. You know, today is a super complex, challenging society that we have, um, for a variety of different reasons, including the use of social media or the overuse of social media, right. Um, for good, bad, and indifferent, right. Um, it can be really challenging for officials to come together. However, sport is one of those things that really does unite us when we get on, on that pitch, you know, we are all one, right? And we're playing a game. Uh, What advice do you give to officials who find themselves maybe in a locker room working with others that maybe don't necessarily look or think like them? Yeah, you know, I kind of, you know, I look back to this past season, which was so different than any other season we've ever been through. And, you know, I I constantly, you know, challenge myself throughout last year. I know a lot of people did, especially after you know, George Floyd's murder, I think the conversation across the nation, it changed dramatically. And these conversations were starting to be had in our locker rooms amongst officials too, you know, especially like my first MLS fourth official assignment. If you remember that night, Tori, oh, I where, know it. you know, the players ended up protesting the game and it was going to be my first assignment. And it was just so ironic and so beautiful. And I had tears in my eyes, you know, and it was, in that moment that I realized, you know, I don't know if I should mention names, but the referee on the game and the other ARs on the game, like the moments we had in the locker room together, I'll have with me for the rest of my life, you know, because at that moment, it was bigger than football. It was bigger than the game. It was bigger than anything else going on. And it was just one of the most beautiful memories of my career, but it all started in that locker room. And I think we're going to have more moments like that, but it brought me, like I would, go to war for everybody that, you know, I was in the locker room with that night. And it was just so incredible because we did have some of those conversations that I think we're all going to start having over the next few years because of what's happened. And you kind of mentioned it earlier, right? It's about having that dialogue. It's having these conversations. Um, And I think that you're one of those people that is willing and open and, you know, lovingly having these conversations so that we can all be enlightened Um, I remember that night. And for those that might not know, um, there were several teams and rumors about 
MLS games not proceeding in protest. Mm-hmm. And um, I happen to have a game the same night as Natalie. My game was the first game of the series and the teams hadn't yet gotten everything sorted out yes. uh, just yet. Uh, but we were supposed to have our first fourth officials the same night. Um, and then Natalie's game and the subsequent games thereafter uh, didn't kick off in protest of what had been happening around. And it was certainly a moment that I celebrated for you and and for the league because it it really was something um, special and a very challenging time for everyone. And uh, I'm really glad to hear that experience is going to stick with you for a long time. Because I'm honored to be a part of it. Yeah, we can support each other too, right? And in those yes. moments of, of tough times when we don't know what's the right decision or how to, you know, supporting each other is one of the biggest things we can do. And um, that's beautiful. I love that story. Um, shifting a little bit to decision makers on the pitch. If you had the opportunity to speak directly to decision makers, what advice would you have for them in regards to ensuring or creating opportunities for black and minority officials? You know, <laughs> I would say the most important thing, just in the conversations I've had with other black referees, you know, especially in the last year, I think one of the biggest things that we want is, you know, just an opportunity. You know, the experience that you get on the field is, you know, it's all it's all anybody ever wants. And I think, you know, when you look at, I think everybody has to take an honest look at your roster, who you're assigning to games. You know, maybe we don't have all the data right now, but I think we will. But I think everyone needs to take an honest look at their roster and how they're assigning different officials, because I think in order to see more black referees on the field and doing higher level games, you know, working in the power five conferences, I think you have to give people the opportunity to get those quality games and quality experiences to get better. Um, That's the only way, you know, you can improve and get to this level is to get those games that challenge you, get those games that push you and give you the experience you need to, to improve. Absolutely. Experience is everything in this game. What suggestion, what suggested changes would you make to improve the experiences and outcomes of black officials? Um, it's kind of tied into the, you know, my last answer, I would say just a little more transparency and transparency and assigning, you know, I think we're starting to take a closer look at the mix of referees at like, at least at the pro level, U S soccer level, you know, trying to get, you know, data on, you know, how diverse is our referee pool? You know, how many women are being used on certain games? Um, I think getting more data and getting more transparency in how we assign these games will make it fair for everybody. I think everybody just wants a fair shot um, at the end of the day. I don't want to be, you know, assigned to a game just because I'm, I'm a woman or just because I'm Black. I want to be assigned because I'm good, right? I think that's how all of us feel about it. So I think just you know, having honest look and getting more transparency in how we assign these games and, um, you know, making sure that people are giving a fair shot. Yeah, and you know, one thing I, I'd add there, just from a NISOA perspective, mm-hmm. that we are having those tough conversations ourselves. And um, we've worked with the RIDE committee um, to help take a look at our membership and our profile. And we've compared it directly with NCAA uh, athletes and how we compare across uh, demographics, race being one of them, gender being another. You can imagine the gender gap. Um, Absolutely. Thanks to Title Nine, right? Mm-hmm. There's you know 60 plus percent uh, female athletes, right? Where we're mm-hmm. trailing at about six percent, seven percent membership females for officials. 
So a huge disparity and gap there. We see a little less on the, the race side, but there certainly still is gaps in compared to the, the normalized data. So we're taking a look at the data and we're finding awesome. ways to um, be more inclusive, include more officials. And this initiative is, is one of those to highlight members like you who have been successful, who have found success in the game. And I know you're ambitious and you have <laughs> aspirations and there's a lot more that you wanna do. Uh, and hopefully the college game is gonna help you get there. Um, but undoubtedly, I think that is a message that is heard and we're responding to, um, at least from our perspective, awesome. for sure. Um, what advice would you have to aspiring black officials? You know, I would say for me, you know, in my experience, you know, it was, there were different challenges that everybody's going to have along the way, but I think, you know, finding, you know, other friends, other referees that you can connect with and relate to and share some of your experiences with, you know, always having somebody you can talk, call and talk things out, like things that happen in matches, having somebody you can get on the phone with and say, hey, did I do this right? Hey, what do you think? Um, and finding someone that you can, that can mentor you a little bit, um, but always staying positive and not getting discouraged. You know, sometimes it's easy to get frustrated that you're not getting the games that you want. Um, you're not being, maybe not being recognized for the things that you've accomplished, but staying positive, you know, keep pushing forward and finding people that, you know, can help help you get better. Mm -hmm. That's great advice for, for everyone. When we talk about Black History Month, it's not just about celebrating the progress and the history, but also looking forward and what's ahead. What does your ideal future look like? You know, I would say my ideal future looks like you know, more diversity, you know, not only on the pitch, but also like in the administration and leadership roles, you know, I'd want to see, you know, more women, more blacks, more minorities, you know, sitting on the boards, having a seat at the table. Um, because I think that's where a lot of change and a lot of, you know, influence can be had. So I would say, you know, more, you know, more administ administrative changes as far as diversity would be, would be something that would be great for everybody. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Having a voice at the table is the start of change. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us regarding your take on Black history or the experiences of, of Black officials that we haven't covered? No, I think we covered a lot, Tori. I, um, I just want to thank you. I want to thank NISOA for, for even putting this on. I think you guys have shown like incredible leadership out of all the other referee organizations. Like you guys are the first to do something like this. And I know it's been a long road for us to get here, but you know, I really do appreciate it. There's still a lot of work to be done, but I think you guys are like moving in the right direction and you guys are, you know, leading the way on this. And I, I really do appreciate that. I know a lot of referees do as well. Thanks, Natalie. That means a lot. That's why we're doing this, right? It's to give a voice and close that gap in understanding of one another. And thank you for taking the time to share a very personal journey. And I learned a lot about you. Um, yeah. Your grandfather's story was really touching. Um, you know, I think, you know, you've encouraged others. You are paving a path for many. You are an inspiration to so many. Um, you've accomplished so much in your career in such a short bit of time. And I know you will accomplish great things in the future because uh, you have that grit, you have that determination. 
um, and we talk about you know athleticism and the skill set required, uh, you've got it all, girl. And I'm so excited to see what the future holds for you. But thank you again for sharing your stories um, with us. I know it takes courage to be a little vulnerable in this situation. Um, and I appreciate tremendously for you doing that and, and having the courage to come out here and share those stories um, and helping us better understand what your experience has been like. So thank you, Natalie. And look thank forward you to for having me, Tori. Yeah, take care. All right, you too.